It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. So we've spent so much time on the pod the last few weeks, and really the first half of this pod today, talking about the, the one and the two seed and the three seed, right? The reality is we're probably now at a point where it's going to matter more what's happening at the five seed, the six seed in terms of who they're going to play. So often we look past the first round as, you know, talking about the Celtics or Bucks in the second round, who it's going to be, who has home court, all those things. I think we're both pretty confident they're going to get out the first round, but the, the opponent does matter to your point, how those opponents are playing matters, how the Sixers are playing matters heading into it. So when you look at those potential first round matchups, who do you prefer? Who do you think it's going to be? I mean, I, I, I didn't check the standings this morning, but I believe, is, are the Heat still in six or have they gotten the fifth? No, the Heat are in seventh, but it is very tight in the okay. uh, six through, well, I guess it's it's really five through seven right now. The Knicks are kind of struggling a little bit. They've lost three in a row. So I think the clear order as it sits right now in terms of uh, – potential opponent and the let's just say the Knicks stay in five the Sixers should be on their hands and knees praying that the Nets are the six seed like the yeah. Nets are just dude they are not good man they've been I want to say they're like seven and 14 since the Durant trade well they're four they're and just, six in their last uh 10 I can tell you that they're just not very good like again I've said this in, in, on several different platforms at this point if you have to rely on like Spencer Dinwiddie and Mikhail Bridges yeah. to be your guys who are handling the ball and leading you in fourth quarters of games, I just, I don't think that's a no disrespect to Mikhail Bridges, who has been very good since uh, leaving Phoenix. I just don't think that's a recipe for success. And if you're asking me if I'd rather play Dinwiddie, Mikhail Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith in a playoff series versus Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. I I don't think it's even close. Like, I think that's an easy call. And if for whatever reason, Atlanta went on a crazy run in the year, I just, I think they're too far out of it. So I think it's basically just three back. I think, I think it's a Brooklyn versus Miami conversation. Mostly. I I don't fear the Hawks either. Like, I, I think they've been bad for most of the year. Their defense is bad. The, the vibes are just totally off. They hired Quinn Snyder, and that's made basically no difference in terms of yeah. their, their night-to-night. They had one of the worst losses in the league all season in a recent comeback loss to the Spurs. So, yeah, I guess the the thought of playing Jimmy and Bam in the playoffs and Eric Spolstra on top of that, like, 
if you're just looking at Miami as a, a proposition, I think they've been bad enough that I think if you have any fear of them as the Sixers, I don't want to hear anyone talk about them as a serious contender. Like they have not mm-hmm. been good. But if you want to talk about the upside case with Miami, I'm I don't know if this is still true, but they're a negative point differential team for the season and they're five games over 500. And that says to me that there is some degree of like coaching acumen that's happening that Spolstra is getting these guys to overperform what their their expectations should be based on their point differential. I think it also speaks to the fact that they can play in and win a lot of tight games because they do have Jimmy to carry them through those stretches. And, you know, bam, in in those type of games, we saw it in the playoffs last year, but you've seen this historically too. He is sort of a matchup proof defender and that he is one of the two to three best switch defenders in the league. So you can throw him out on Harden on a possession and he can lock him up. He gave Joel a lot of problems. Now an injured Joel, obviously last year, but gave him a bunch of trouble in the playoffs. They do find ways to shrink the floor and make it hard for Joel to operate with different. They play a lot of zone, and so zone can junk things up for them and makes make things really hard on them. So that is the the team. If you're picking one to avoid, you probably want to avoid. But I'm of the mindset again, as I've said before. If they have any fear of that Miami team, we should just pack it up now and start talking about where James is going in the offseason and who's going to be the next head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, so I don't think they'll lose to the Heat. I think to your point, like the Heat, the 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 problem the Heat present is probably the biggest concern every fan has about this team, which is do they just have it in them to win in the playoffs? Like, and I think we look at that so much with the Bucks and the Celtics, and rightfully so. Those teams are way better than the Heat. The Sixers can play their B game and win the the series against the Heat just skill-wise. Like, they don't have to shoot at lights out to win whatever. But I think the concern with the Heat is, to your point, is if, you know, this kind of slump we're seeing the team in, right, where they, let's say Harden doesn't play on Monday, or he does play, and they lose, right, and then it's three straight, and, like, Harden doesn't look himself. And the Heat are the team that I feel could take advantage of that. I do think the Nets... Like there's a little bit of a worry with uh they don't know what they don't know, young up and coming, like whatever, where they're just playing without any pressure. I think all the pressure would be on the Sixers. The Heat are a team that I think would come out and at the very least swing really hard at the Sixers. Like it might not connect. It might not like the Sixers could maybe take it and still win. But I think the Heat would come out and test the Sixers mental toughness right away. And I also think now I believe Harden's played well against him this year, but I also think Harden is then like a specific player where you would look and go, how's he going to play against the heat coming off of this injury? Yeah. And I just, I think the, the reason anybody would worry about the heat is they haven't had to play well to win games, right? Like they, they have sort of a similar, like what we've talked about with the Sixers this year, where we say, you know, they they've won games where they haven't played well and, they just define ways to win. A lot of those qualities are present with the Heat because Jimmy just finds ways to pull wins out of thin air. And Bam, giving them that defensive spine is a big help there too. Like Jimmy does the free throw grifting and the, like the offensive rebounds where he's skying over people. And he'll get a steal in the backcourt right after a made basket. Just like all these little things that add up over the course of the game. 
and if we're, we want to talk about, you know, playoff track records, I know Jimmy's had some bad moments himself, but he's had a lot of deep, really good playoff runs where yep. he's been the best guy in a given series. And, and so that's sort of the problem. It's like, if they play Brooklyn, I have absolutely no concern that the best and even the second best players are going to be on the Sixers. I think in most versions of a Miami series, you do get Joel as the best player and probably James as the second best player. But I can at least see, based on history, track record, coaching matchup, all that, a world where Jimmy just gets to a level the other two guys don't, where he's not really phased by, you know, okay, they have James and Joel, but I have me. Like, I think that's how <laughs> Jimmy thinks. Like, I don't, right. I don't think he really cares about – he even said in a, um, a post-game thing, a post-game interview recently, said, like, I don't even really start playing hard until after the All-Star <laughs> break. And it's like he's played at an all-NBA level this year, despite the fact that he hasn't been at, you know, full go. And so I think there is something to the idea that he is always kind of saving another level for the playoffs. We saw that in Philadelphia. Like, I, I think people, there's a little bit of revisionist history with how good he was on the whole with the Sixers, but I think he was awesome in the playoffs. And part of that is because he saved his body for the playoffs. Yeah. Well, I do wonder too. And look, we are certainly, this is a pod. They've lost two straight. We're probably looking at the glass half full empty version of, of all this stuff. Right. But I do wonder if, you know, we talk often about Joel's relationships around the league when it comes to like recruiting players and all that stuff. One person we know he's tight with is Jimmy. I do wonder if maybe Jimmy holds the mental edge over Joel, where Jimmy goes into the series feeling supremely confident in Joel. Maybe there's, even if it's five or 10% of them, that's, man, Jimmy's really good. You know, like I, I, I mean, do you think there's any of that in terms of if there's one player that might own Joel like mentally? I feel like it might be Jimmy. Nah, because I just, I think, I would think more along the lines of, is there any Bam factor there? Because Bam did a great job on both. Like the, the problem in the playoffs last year, and again, we have to add the caveat, Joel was hurt, hurt, right? Yeah. We don't have to say Bam outplayed him and blah, 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 because it's he was compromised. But I think Bam, in the way that he will make Joel work on the defensive end and make him move and track him as a roller and all that stuff, like that, if you can get Joel involved in the game on both ends where you wear him down over time, I mean, Bam just has a higher motor and can play harder for longer than Joel can because he doesn't have the same level of offensive responsibility that Joel does. And so that that is more where I would worry with Miami from a Joel perspective. Like Jimmy's not guarding Joel. Jimmy doesn't have much impact on – how Joel plays in a given game. Bam does, and how they set up does. So the key is going to be solving that problem. And some of that, again, comes down to James Harden, where he's got to take advantage of different matchups. Like He's got to beat up on somebody like Tyler Hero, and Kevin Love is going to be playing big minutes for them. Guys who are defensive targets that James can – you know, pick apart in isolation, force those switches, whatever. And they're going to have to hit shots against Miami zone because if Miami can sit back and just say, hey, bomb away from three, we're going to crowd Joel in the middle of the floor yeah. and dare you to beat us as shooters. 
Well, if they can't beat that, then they're in big trouble. But again, I, I think end of the day, they are a better and I would say much better team than the Miami Heat. They have been all year. And we've spent way too much time on this podcast considering the possibility <laughs> that they would have to beat Miami. Let's put it that way. Well, the, the absolute last question I have on this and is we, we kind of dismissed the Knicks. But when it comes to Knicks Heat, who would you rather play there? Uh, I'd rather play the Knicks, I think, but the Knicks are better than Miami. I just, again, that, that just comes down to, I don't have the same fear factor of Brunson and RJ Barrett and Julius Randle as I would. Now, the other side of it is Mitchell Robinson is huge. I think Joel would beat up on him a little bit, but he's just a huge guy to throw at Joel. Brunson is very good. Randle is a guy who might shoot you into or shoot you out of a game. So it would depend on how he's going on a given night. I just think the matchups are a little cleaner there. So, you know, I want to bring up something too. I think a sneaky subplot coming down the stretch is what version of PJ Tucker are they going to get in the playoffs? He was absolutely horrendous in that Golden State game on both ends. Like I, I think everybody focused on, the shooting like he's record scratching possessions in the corner and Joel just kept giving him the ball giving him there were some weird like back and forth sequences where it looked like Joel was like shoot the goddamn ball <laughs> almost in the way that he kept giving him the ball. For, uh, Joel but then at the other end I mean he's getting smoked by Draymond for a decent amount of that game and I think we've seen in a lot of these big games that PJ is a really critical defensive component of making things work. Like I'm interested in the Denver game on Monday night. Are we going to see PJ guarding Jokic for a lot of that game? Because, you know, as you'll remember in the first meeting, when they went down double digits heading into halftime, the big adjustment was switching so that PJ is guarding Jokic. Joel is playing as a roamer essentially. And that totally flipped the game on defense. If PJ is not able to hold up in some of these difficult matchups and you're not able to move Joel as a, a chess piece on that side of the ball, well, then you're, you're past the winning shrink. And so uh, if he's not looking good physically, if he's not hitting shots and you have to go to a Niang or a McDaniels or whoever right. in that spot, or even just play Tobias and then you know play Melton and you're playing the three guard lineup and you're seeing how that goes you don't have as much versatility defensively and you become almost wholly reliant on if you're able to outscore teams. And they've, they've been able to do that for most of the year. They've been the number one offense in the league or close to it from December 1st onward. But PJ is like a, a really underrated part of what makes everything go and what makes them adaptable in the playoffs. So they got to get him up to speed coming down the stretch. And man, I'll, I'll be honest, like I'm, I'm probably not as good at noticing the little things PJ does that probably you would be in terms of the little, little things he's supposed to do well. I've just been wholly unimpressed with PJ the entire season, and he's been better at stretches. I mean, we spent the first part of this pod talking about if they should bench him or not. But in terms of confidence level going in, like whenever Maxi shoots the ball, I'm supremely confident it is going in. Whenever PJ shoots, I have no hope whatsoever that it goes in. Now I know obviously he's making threes, but I think I, I agree. Like I think these last few games and especially that Golden State game, he's been concerning, like concerningly bad and heading in. And he's another person like you talk about not to keep going back to the heat, but he's somebody that's supposed to be the 
mental toughness. You can count him in the playoff guy. And I just, I haven't seen it. Like I have no confidence he'll make a big play when it matters or a big shot. And that's all year. I know maybe he's in that Jimmy vein of, all right, now it's time to start playing. But I just, I have no confidence. I definitely that. think there's some of that. Like yeah. I think a guy his age who's been around the block, I, I think there is absolutely a level of, there's going to be a different level in the playoffs. And even in the Golden State game, I thought he came out and looked good. Like there are a lot of PJ type plays, offensive rebounds, scrapping with guys in the first, you know, eight to 10 minutes of the game. The problem is he's 37 years old and you can only make so many of those plays and dial it up so much before you start getting tired and less effective and the jumper stops falling and there are all kinds of problems there. I actually wanted to look it up. What do you think PJ Tucker is shooting from three this season? Just guess. Uh, 35%. He's at 38.7%. Wow. So it's, he and doesn't I went a little shoot higher it. than I thought too. Cause I figured it would be a, a shocking number. He was at 40 for a How lot of this year. Now? Less than two. It's like one, okay. 1.8 per game. So not a lot, but, but that's, that is a bigger problem. I think than whether he's making 40% of his shots or not, it's the fact that, he just isn't taking that many. He gets, yeah. he has more than 1.8 open shot opportunities a game. We'll put it that way. And I'm more concerned with the fact that he hasn't really shown a lot of confidence in his shot this year. Cause I look, I can live with PJ has a cold spell for a few games and goes 0 for 6, 0 for 7, like a, a Danny Green type performance. Mm-hmm. I think that was something that people were driven crazy by with. Danny or like Rob Covington when he was here that they just kept shooting and kept shooting and kept shooting and that it looks ugly and it is ugly in the moment. It's like, why won't this guy get rid of the fucking ball, like pass it to somebody else, whatever it is. But you need those role players to have an almost limitless well of confidence because they're going to be like, let's just say they're not even shooting poorly. There are going to be games where they don't touch the ball for like two quarters of the game, a guy who's a corner shooter who's facing the floor for Joel and James might just be standing there with his hands up like this, waiting for the ball for, I don't know, like 14 minutes of game time and then need to hit a shot. So your mentality as that guy has to be, as soon as this ball hits my hands, it's going up. I don't care if there's a closeout coming. I don't care if I'm 0 for 8. I don't care about anything other than this is my shot. This is my opportunity, and it's going up. So, so why I don't do you think, think he's I've, not getting as many shots then? I, I don't think he looks confident in his shot. Like I, I just don't. Right. Just eyeballing it. Like when he when he's feeling good, I think he gets shots up. But you know, there's been the weird wrist hand thing at times this year. Where he said he's got a dead hand, and there's like yeah, numbness or tingling, yeah. which is just like a crazy thing to have happen. Now we haven't heard that. In a while, I think he played well for quite a bit. So that's been, you know, pushed to the side. But I do think there's a mental part of it too, where PJ isn't that guy. Like he's not going to shoot himself out of slumps or or be Danny Green, where it's like, I just this is my shot. I'm taking it. He's not mm-hmm. that sort of guy. Like he would rather, I'm giving it back to the star. I'll run a handoff. I'll do this. I'll do that. He is a very good corner shooter, but he's just not. 
he sort of manufactured himself into a, a good corner shooter. He was not a guy that has always been, you know, like a high level. Danny Green, dating back to playing at North Carolina, was a he could score and do all that. He was a confident, yeah, good shooter. PJ Tucker had to make himself into one. And so I do think there's that difference in terms of he just isn't wired that way. That's not Which his is game. crazy because his personality seems like he would be an irrational confidence guy. Like it seems like he would be a I'll just shoot no matter what guy. Well, de- right. on defense, he is. Like I yeah. think on defense, he says, I'll check anybody. Like I'll guard if you need me to defend Nikola Jokic, who's got, I don't know, like eight inches on him or whatever right. it is. Like I'll do it. I'm I'm tough enough. I'm strong enough. I'll do it. So in some ways he is wired that way. Like I'll go get an offensive rebound and beat three guys to go get it. Like, I will out-muscle these people. But I don't think that translates to shooting and the other parts of offense the way you might hope it would.